left center, deep, gone, Brewers lead it. And a swing and a miss, he struck him out. Down the line, and that's the ball game. Hey Brewers fans, welcome to another episode of Brewers Unfiltered. I'm Brad Ford, and I'm joined as always by my co-host, Tim Dillard and Adam McAlvey. You know, we're coming off a rough loss in San Diego. The team came up short a couple times with runners in scoring position. They're dealing with some injury issues. We're going to get into all that, but guys, at least you get to enjoy some time out on the West Coast, right? It is beautiful. We had June gloom, like a perfect June gloom day yesterday, which in San Diego feels very good. It's like the the wet air, the sea air just envelops you like a hug. Right, Tim? Is that how you open the broadcast? (laughs) Yeah, I didn't come up with anything even close to eloquent like that right there. I didn't even know what that was until last (laughs) night. What would it have taken to hit a home run in the series opener in San Diego? Quite a bit. There were some balls that were hit okay, and they went nowhere. So I I think they kind of, when everyone started bunting... (laughs) It's a sure sign. <laughs> it's a sure sign. Hey, we're not going to do the long ball. So they're like, all right, we'll take the take the small bat up there and bunt. Yeah, I definitely I'm in Milwaukee. So I felt really bad listening to Jeff call the game because there were multiple moments where I think even with the current issues with the ball and the current issues with ball flight, there are a lot of hard hit balls where things sounded just perfect off the bat and you're listening to Jeff call things <laughs> as they're in the air and it just seems like those things should be traveling 450 feet and they're not even reaching the dirt on the warning track. It always plays big but last night I think real quick everybody was all on the same page of man the big the big bomb is not going to happen today you better try to find a gap which luckily Tyrone Taylor did put runs on the board. Yeah, things started off well for the Brewers yesterday, but uh, after a while, quickly started off not well. You have Hunter Renfro leaving the game with a hamstring injury. You have, which hopefully doesn't put him on the shelf for too long. You're in the game without Josh Hader, so of course that means it's going to be an extra inning game, right? That's how baseball works. It's just going to work that way. You have multiple instances where bases are loaded, nobody out, and you can't get anyone across, including an extras. Uh, Just seemed like a lot of the baseball gods were against the Brewers yesterday, right, Adam? Well, yeah, and the Padres played some really good defense in key spots. So it was, I think the Brewers, we talked to Andrew McCutcheon after the game, and he stood up and said, that's a game we need to win. So I think the the players and Craig Council said the right things about, look, we need... Two for 13 with runners in scoring position ain't going to cut it. But they're also, it's worth noting that there were moments where they did what they were supposed to do, put the ball in the play, put the ball in play hard somewhere. Colton Wong did that with the bases loaded in their first bases loaded, no out situation. Uh, Jace Peterson hit a ball up the middle that probably gets through, council believed, if it doesn't hit the pitcher's foot. So there were instances where they did what they were supposed to do and, you know, tip your cap to the Padres. That was a just, it was a great baseball game. I mean, that was a really entertaining game. And if we're in for more of that on, in this series and, and on this road trip, uh, that's a good thing. And I think the Brewers feel like if they give themselves 13 ABs with runners in scoring position on, on most nights, that's going to be a big night. Yeah, there's a lot of asterisks on this game. I mean, even in the 10th, ball hit back to Garcia for a pitcher to maneuver like that, throw home, go to first. I, I just That right there just kind of shows it wasn't going the Brewers' way. They were doing, like you said, what they're supposed to. They just couldn't get the ball... <laughs> 
all the way through the infield. People kept stopping it. Cronenworth may get booed when he comes to Milwaukee. <laughs> <laughs> the new Machado. Instead of Manny Machado, you think they'll remember Jake Cronenworth? Well, it's interesting. Machado, no hits last night. I mean, yeah. you, you got to think a guy that's batting you know close to 400, that's not going to last very long, which is impressive. It's impressive that they held him at bay. He was overly aggressive when they probably would have walked him if he would have just not swung. Uh, one of his last at-bats, they would have just put him on base if there was a couple of balls, but he was aggressive. They played off of that. Um, the Brewers pitching, for the most part, was absolutely outstanding. I mean, for Miguel Sanchez to show up from AAA, and it's like, hey, of course your first outing is going to be a one, you know, a tie ball game in the 10th. Of course. Uh, that's hey, just yeah, the a tie ball game in the 10th, that would be like 2 a.m. for you on a normal day, mind you. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> that was a fun game for a television analyst. I mean, there were tons of moments to talk about. Second guess, third guess, first guess, and, um, you know, good defense. It was it was a good ball game. Yeah, it, I found it exciting. It was a good ball game for baseball fans, rough ball game for Brewers fans. But we're going to take your mind off of, because there are a lot of good things to talk about still. So we're going to get into some of the good things, but also there's also more injuries to get into. So that's always rough to cover. But first, you guys spoke to Chris Hook. And Tim, you guys had a really interesting conversation with him. Yeah, Chris Hook, uh, the man behind what this staff has done, this Brewers pitching staff, starting pitching, bullpen, the way they pick up guys, the method to the madness. There has to be a guy to blame for all this awesomeness. And uh, yeah, we took it out on Chris Hook a little bit. As you guys hear, I'm just excited to get him to sit in one place for five minutes. More than, you know, as you'll hear, a lot more than five minutes. It's very rare. He's a he's a busy man. Yeah, so this is one of the guys who is responsible for making the Brewers system what it is when it comes to pitching. So enjoy the interview. Tim and I are with Brewers pitching coach Chris Hook. And I'm going to start this with a criticism, if that's okay. And it's not of Chris Hook, it's of us who cover the team because I feel like we do a terrible job of letting the fans know, like, who is Chris Hook and what's he all about? And I have the reason why. It's because nobody moves around more than Chris Hook. The man never sits still for two seconds in order to be interviewed. So we have him sitting still for a couple of minutes here. And I'm really thankful. So, Chris, thanks for giving us the time. That's the reason. I didn't know that. I didn't know that was the reason. Yeah, it's not a criticism of you. It's a criticism of the <laughs> well, job. <laughs> right. There's a lot of things to do, Adam, in a day. So, yeah, I am I'm, I'm, like to stay moving, that's for sure. And maybe during the game, you might not see me a whole lot because I'm always in and out of the clubhouse grabbing a drink or something. But it, yeah, I don't like to sit still too often. Thanks for bringing that up. ADD popping back up. <laughs> well, well, we'll start with a little bit of your bio. I saw born in San Diego, but raised in Kentucky. You went to Northern Kentucky university, uh, undrafted free agent assigned with the reds and then traded to the giants for whom you made your big league debut. And we have lots of questions about that, about playing for the mid nineties giants. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to start with a coaching question, Chris, like, can you name a coach or two in your life, somewhere in your baseball life that most influences what you do now? You know, I would, I, I think it's, I think any player can say that there's always multiple coaches. I'm sure Tim can say the same thing. I, I Joel Horland comes to mind. I had Grant Jackson, Mac Jenkins. Um, oh gosh, there were so many. Uh, but these guys, there, you, you take a piece of everyone. Yeah. And I think that's kind of where a player gets shaped. When I think about our guys and uh, their development, the big leagues, there's so many pieces of our guys. 
our coaching staff that has been a piece of their development. And I, I think that's the cool part about coaching is that a player gets developed by many. It's It takes a village, and, and I think that's the same way with me. I've taken a little bit over the course of time from my college coaches, uh, through my pitching coaches, uh, Larry Rothschild comes to mind, those types of people that – um, you know, touch my t- touch my playing career, and then you know, ultimately co- touch my coaching career. Is it my turn for a question? <laughs> well, I was going to say I'd, I'd like one follow up if I could, just before we get off that topic, Chris. What to you makes a good coach? Well, um, I, I think the ultimately is uh, someone that uh, you, you trust a lot, um, someone that cares a lot. I, I think probably those two things go together. Um, and then someone who's knowledgeable about what you do well and, and, and then hopefully be able to lead you and have, have a vision of where you're going to be. And I think that's the hard part at the minor league level sometimes. I think, you know, we're, we're very um, uh, thankful now that we have a North Star to kind of help us lead it. But so, it used to be just a vision of mine. Hey, this is where I think this guy can go. Uh, so a, a coach that has – Really good vision and and the vision that's best for you and then cares a lot and is invested every day with that, trying to get you to get to that spot. Well, I'll take it from the player's point of view, like what you want out of a coach. And I know I saw you in Miami the other day in the lobby and pretty much told you this story. Um, But one thing that I've always done is I've paid attention. When I'm in a game, when I'm not in a game, I'm always watching the game. That's just been ingrained in me since I was a kid. And I've had a lot of pitching coaches, and Hookie, you're right. You take a little bit, uh, the things that apply to you from each coach. But the fact that in 2014, I'm the oldest guy in the league. <laughs> you're my pitching coach, and you, <laughs> and you have the chance to sit there and watch me, and suddenly I make a change, a small like fraction of a change. I walk into the dugout, and you immediately walk over and go, hey, uh, did you change a little something with your front side? And I was like, uh, yeah. He goes, when would you do that? Uh, two hours ago, <laughs> and you were like, I like it. It looks good. That right there is the biggest thing in a player's life. It really is. You just want to know that someone's paying attention and that someone cares. So you're talking about a pitching coach that cares. You're a pitching coach that cares, and you prove it by noticing this sort of stuff. So anyway, I don't really have a question. It's more of a thank you. <laughs> <laughs> right, 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 right. Thanks. Yeah, and I, I think that's important, Tim. It's it's the small little details that I, I think in the big picture you don't always see. And that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for the smallest details of what's good, what isn't good. Um, and, and I let I let our analytics analytics drive us. I, I know where they should be. And then I'm like, okay, why isn't it there? Uh, why aren't you locating? Why is this stuff not working like it normally does? And then we go to work in these throwing programs every day to make sure it's it's ready. And then hopefully we get on the side to work on it. And we kind of kind of level it all out, let it play out, and see uh, see if we're getting ready for the next one. You know, you just mentioned the word analytics, Chris, and I was going to ask you about that, but and maybe this is the right time because I imagine for a lot of your coaching career, it was more of like what your eyes were telling you, right? And now there's this whole other component of the game. And it seems to me like when I hear about coaches, the, the great coaches, they're the best at bringing those two things together. Um, and you, it seems, I would imagine during your career, had to figure that out as you went. How, how big a challenge was that and is that to always bring those two things together? Well, I think you always, I mean, like I said, this is my 30th year in the game, uh, my 14th year of coaching at the professional level. Um, but it's just, there's things that you see that you like, man, I know what that is. 
and the numbers kind of back that up. And that's kind of what we're finding out is like I've I've known this guy had lift in the zone. I didn't know that I had proven evidence of that, but I know he had he worked upside uh, up up at the top of the zone, the top third. Freddie Peralta, you just he felt I felt that I think it was uh, probably sixteen. Uh, we had Freddie, and we were starting to get into those numbers, and we kind of heard through the grapevine, and guys were kind of filtering down some information, throw that at the top. Of the, but um, I see it. I see it. It's in, in front of me. So now the numbers back up some of the things that we do see, and I think the guys that have been in the in the game a while could always tell you, hey man, that that's a hammer. I know it's a hammer. Now I got spin rate, and I got vert to tell me it's a hammer. It, that's kind of that's kind of how we go with it. Well, Chris, you've coached at college level, indie level, A ball, double A. Uh, you were a rover um, pitching coordinator. What was it like finally getting the call to the big leagues? It was it was very similar to getting the call to the big leagues as a player. I mean, it's it's overwhelming. It, you know, I I spent uh, I think it was five years before I got the call to big leagues with the Giants, um, being a non-drafted player. You know, as as we say, the grind going through the grind. I think the grind was the same as a coach. Um, you know, and it just, you know, I, I was in the Dominican Republic when it happened, and Counts called me, and you're on the Wi-Fi at the uh, one of the hotels down there, and it's like, uh, uh, Chris, this is Counts, uh, didn't, you know, I'm like, did I did I get the job? You know, you don't know. It's just like cutting in and out. So I'm like, Counts, I'm really sorry. I think I got the job. Can I call you back tomorrow? I'm gonna be back home. But, but uh, I had a sense that I, I got it. But uh, no, that was a little bit nerve wracking. But, uh, yeah, it was exhilarating, uh, nerve-wracking, you know, all the things. uh, Just it's different, but very much the same feeling. It would have been funny if, like, they were calling about something else and you thought you got the job and you just showed up and started doing it. And they were like, all right, right, I guess you got it. Yeah, it was was funny, but kind of nerve-wracking, too. How about when you take over then, Chris? I mean, I would imagine, you know, there's got to be nerves for a coach just like there is for a player. But the difference for you is that, like, you knew – I remember talking to you your first spring training, and we talked about just how many of these guys you had such deep roots with already because of the time you spent in the minor leagues. Yeah, there's there's a huge group that I did know, and I, I felt comfortable with them. It, it does feel like you're taking – and you're taking care of somebody else's house. You know, you're in somebody else's house. This has been done a certain way. I had guys here, you know, the Zach Davies uh, – uh, uh, Joe Jolice was here, um, um, and then we had uh, our left-handed pitcher from Miami, Gio Gonzalez. He was here as well. So he had he had some guys that I didn't know a lot about, and they had their own routines, uh, things that they wanted to do. And I kind of had to just go with the flow with those things, uh, and kind of figure out what they needed. And that's part of being a good coach too. I'm I'm not going to come in and start pounding. Hey, this is what we have to do. I have to find out who, who these people are. I have to gain their trust as well. Uh, it was. Let me tell you, it was. It was grindy that first uh, two months. It was tough. It was really, really tough. And again, like it, it just, I wasn't fully comfortable uh, with how things were run. And, and like I said, I was running someone else's show a little bit. And then as we started getting through the first half of the season, started doing some, a little bit more things the way that I would like to do them. And then it's continued since then. And just really felt like I was myself again. Uh, probably three quarters away through that season, I felt like, okay, I'm kind of getting back to who I am and how I want to do things. And since then, like I said, this this group, they know who I am and how I like things done, and and uh, it makes it really, really smooth and comfortable. And that matters, too, because when you're talking about the grind, 
uh, with some of the guys that you didn't know. Pitchers are stubborn, huh. right? You were one. Hello. You know these guys. Yep. Yep. It's like, oh, you want me to make a change? Well, how about no? <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> you know, right. Exactly. Go play speed bump outside. Yeah, like, no, man, don't try to tell me anything. I know what I'm doing, blah, blah, blah. Like, that's we've all been there. Right. Uh, but, Hookie, one of the things that I think that you're best at is just kind of – Kind of your your tone and your lingo and and how you're just calm. As a, if you're a pitcher on the mound and you have a mound visit, you want two people to be calm. You want your catcher to be calm. You want your pitching coach right. because you are allowed to freak out. Right, like that's what your job is. They're visiting you because you're freaking out or what's going on. Right, right. And where have you always had this calm demeanor, or is that something that you just acquired over your coaching career? And it was funny as a player. I was I was a very very goofy. You know, and, and, and my starts, I was like very calm. Like they didn't know if there was a fire going on out there or not. <laughs> uh, and that's what, that was always a compliment. I really didn't understand. I mean, I knew that, but I, I didn't know that. Um, but that's just something I think that's really important. There's a lot of things going on in that, that pitcher's head at that particular instance that I'm going out there. Usually it's just, here's a reset. Let's take a breath. Here's, here's what we've talked about. Remember this? Hey, great pitch that lasted bat. Da, 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 da. Just kind of, just kind of pulling up some positives uh, that have been going on throughout the day. Um, and then just kind of make sure that, hey, number one, I've, I've got a deep breath. I've got a, a reset of, of my mind and body here. And now, okay, here's the plan. This is how we're going to get it done. And, I mean, and you know, Timmy, it, it varies on the moment. You know, and there's, there's been times at, double, at, at, at A ball, double A, there's a delivery issue. Hey, this guy's confidence is low. There are different things you have to say. Uh, but at this level, more it's more of a reset. Hey, things are getting hot out here. You know, let's go back to our, our initial plan to get this guy out. Let's take a deep breath. You're good here. Let's do it. Come on, Timmy. Let's go. Man, I feel like I'm going to have the best <laughs> podcast ever now. Yeah. Yeah. Come on, Tim. So that's the, that's the yeah. serious mound visit, Chris. How often are there just like something silly or you just want a guy to like laugh? Um, there, there's been a lot of times in college I used to do that. There are uh, Well, the one thing is Drew Gagno. The, the funniest one I ever had, which Drew is a tremendously great kid, but he's really goofy. Uh, and he would have a hard time in that uh, that first time around. The second time around, he started getting it getting a little bit sticky. And I remember one time like, hey, Drew, what's up out here? Oh, well, nothing, nothing. I don't know. I, don't know. I said, what you have for breakfast? Uh, egg McMuffin, orange juice, hash brown. Okay, go get him in. I turn around and gets outside. Yeah. Bases loaded, nobody out. Well, something, something crazy like that. And he's like, "Huh, McDonald's, egg McMuffin, hash brown, orange juice." Okay, go get him, kid. And this walked off. And it was just I had to do that a lot for him in general. Yeah, it was just kind of like, "Hey, man, you're good. Good. The stuff's good. You're just kind of getting in your own head here." So that was uh, the one instance I rem- I always remember that that one visit. And the, he ultimately made it to the big leagues. He did, with the, yeah. Uh, with the Mets, yeah. I was. It was great to give him a big hug in center field, and you know that's that's the coolest stuff for us. Even though, heck, uh, God, who was it the other day? We just saw another. Oh, Tyler Thornburg. Yeah, I mean, one of my first guys that got to. The, it might have been my first guy that I ever had get to the big leagues, and good to see him. And it's it's always good to see our own guys. Timmy Dillard. Whoa, you know, I just yeah. even though he's not pitching anymore, it's good <laughs> to see these guys do well. And, and and to me, that's part of the care that'll never leave. You know, I want these guys to continue to do what do well, whatever they're going to do. 
Well, can we talk about your own career a little bit? Because Timmy is the one who came up with this. You know, Tim's Tim is our research guy. Oh. I don't know if you know this. That that doesn't match up for I don't me. That doesn't that at match all. He is. Uh, I mean, I'm he telling hated you, he hated that is the guy. stuff. He I brought up a couple times. Hey, <laughs> hey, Timmy, you're horizontal. This and that. Uh, I don't want to hear any of that. Just let me pitch. <laughs> I told you. Yeah. We're stubborn. Well, Tim <laughs> found a great. I don't want to hear any of that stuff. Rude. Research. Okay, Mr. Research. Let me hear yeah, it. Yeah. The uh, first strike, first career strikeout. This is a great trivia question. Yeah. Who was your first career strikeout? Didn't we just see him the other day? Saw him the other day in Miami. Um, what was his name? <laughs> Gary, <laughs> Gary Sheffield. Sheffield. Yeah, I didn't say it. You said it. Thank you. Yeah. I was trying to get my picture with him, and you told me it was his first strikeout. I was like, what? I'll tell him. Yeah. It was a little, little bit of, you know, I, I didn't know it at the time, but I had like a cut fastball that I didn't intentionally cut. It was kind of an accident, and it was one of those backup cutters that he swung through, and I'm like, yeah. Yeah, Gary Sheffield. <laughs> and what I didn't tell you, Tim, in that first outing, that I also gave up a home run to a guy named Mario Diaz. So I didn't get, I didn't balance that out, but I did give up a home run that first day too. So I was in. Well, I saw that. That was in your first inning in the big leagues. That yeah. one doesn't count. You get yeah. a mulligan first inning. Then the second inning, you came back out and you struck out Gary Sheffield. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, did, I didn't remember that part. That's what you lead I, with. I just, you lead with Gary yeah. Sheffield strikeout. Kind of balances out. It's a balance out sandwich there with Mario Diaz, <laughs> Sheffield. <laughs> I saw Gary Sheffield on the elevator. I was trying to get a picture with him and I came off the elevator and he was standing there with his entourage and I, you know, I didn't want to bother him because there's, you know, a bunch of people around. Didn't want to be like, Hey, get a photo. But all that came out of my mouth was, Hey, it's Gary Sheffield. That's awesome. <laughs> and like everybody laughed. <laughs> I was just like, Oh, I don't know why that's funny, but I call famous people by their, by their first and last right. name. I just feel yeah. like that's the way it's supposed to be. You just could yeah. say Gary. Hi, Gary. Gary. Yeah. He knows who he knows his name. Chris, that was early in that season. Did you make the opening day roster that year? You know, I did. It was uh, actually uh, a lot of relation to uh, this year, strike shortened season. Uh, yeah. We had a shortened spring training. Uh, William Van Lanningham, who was a starter at that time, got hurt early. You know, like I said, we started late. And I had been in AAA for like seven days. And then it got called up. And I stayed most of the year. That They popped me down for like 10 days uh, midseason. But I came back up and spent most of the year there that year, 95. We were looking at that roster. I mean, pretty good. Talk huh? about characters. Yeah. <laughs> Dusty was your manager, your first manager in the big leagues. And then obviously Barry Bonds was already a three-time MVP in 1995. And the guy, I have zero memory of Deion Sanders in a Giants uniform. Oh, yeah. Yeah, very cool. Well, I mean. What was, Deion, what was he like? Barry, Deion was great. You know, the, the energy every day. And obviously he has this persona of, of prime time and all that, but it, this was a genuine great teammate, um, ready to play every day, positive, just uplifting, uh, just a genuine great teammate. I, I, you know, he's one of the guys I always think about uh, in my short time in the big leagues, just really stood out as this dude, he, he knew what it took to, to win generally, obviously in football, also in baseball, but it was, it was very, very cool. Was he bouncing back and forth at that time? I, I don't. Yes, yes. Actually, it was a really, I think it was 95 or 96, but we were in the outfield at Wrigley Field. I can't remember if this is 95 or 96, but uh, he was being courted by the Cowboys at that time. And he was letting us know, hey, guys, by the way, I'm going to be a Cowboy. <laughs> and we heard it first, like Pam Oliver's there, following him around. I mean, this is, this is big time news. 
And he was like in the center field. Yeah, boy, I'll be a cowboy next year. So we we heard her first in center field. I was like, yeah, that's pretty cool. Man. Wow, this is big leagues right here. Pam no Oliver, yeah, no that's Twitter pretty... back in those days, 1995, <laughs> maybe AOL, a little 199K thing. <laughs> yeah, I was I was also looking at that roster. Rod Beck, yeah, shooter, yeah, that's a, yeah, he's great. And uh, Solomon Torres, yeah. Wow, yeah. he was a teammate of mine in 2008. Room so. dog, one of my room dogs. So that's that. yeah. yeah, we were. That's how we're connected as well as players. The, the, the side note on Solomon, Solomon, uh, Giants '93, obviously uh, came up at the end, and that you know, the, I think the Atlanta Braves story, 103 wins, something like that. Obviously, he pitched that last game, and I think they lost. But '94, he was there, and then '95. They, we had the expanded rosters, right, because of, uh, you know, the strike and all the other stuff going on. And then he was he was shipped out for Sean Estes, and I was, like, on that on the bubble there. I was the 25th dude, 26th guy. Whatever, whatever was at the bottom of the list, that's where I was. And they shot Solomon for Sean Estes, uh, who ended up being a very prominent part of that Giants uh, World Series team. Uh, and then I got to stay. Like, <laughs> Thanks for that. Thanks for that, Bob Quinn. Yeah, he was he was bringing that up in the bullpen in 08. He was like, if I ever see that. Yeah, guy again, no, Solomon was great. Yeah. Solomon was great. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, Solomon is like, I mean, Tim, you remember one of the most famous moments in Brewers history. It wasn't even at the ballpark. Oh, yeah. Solomon Torres getting the crowd fired up down at Summerfest. Oh, yeah, yeah. I remember seeing that. I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> that was incredible. Yeah. 26 years. You waited 26 years. You wait no more. Yeah. He's I mean, that was like incredible. eloquent speaker. Like I said, it's this the this the unique guy and and very personable, but uh, one one of the many guys along the way. How about Bonds? What was Bonds like in 1995? You know, he treated me great. He, I mean, he was just you know Barry reminded me a lot of Bronny, and it's and there's these guys like there's big leaguers, and then there's this extra. I mean, these guys should be playing at a different level. Like Barry's that guy. It's like. I got five wins that year. I think they were all in extra innings. For whatever reason, Dusty always put me in the game in extra innings. But when Barry's like, I'm tired of playing, okay, Bob, we're out of here. Let's go. You know? I mean, he's that good. He's that good. I mean, Barry is yeah. that good. And in, in wow. when I was watching him, it was just like, hey, when he's ready, ready for the game to be over, it'll be over. And uh, he was he's, he's crazy talented. Chris, how did you know? Because, you know, you pitched, what, 95, 96 with the Giants. Correct. And then you, you pitched for some other teams like – were they minor league invite type situations? Well, I, I did not pitch well in 96 at all. I had been in Phoenix uh, starting in the PCL for years. Tim, when the PCL was really hard, like yeah. you used to talk about Colorado Springs. I mean, you, you, you grab Edmonton and, and Calgary and all these places that are high elevation. It was just one of the many places. Albuquerque obviously was still in the league, but uh, tough league. But I didn't pitch very well. Uh, Ninety six, didn't get an invite. I got um, I got a FedEx package in the mail. Hey, you're you're not going to be you're outrighted or whatever. That's how they, they told you by FedEx. But, uh, <laughs> I found out. I oh, think so. I geez. can't remember back then. You know, we didn't have cell phones, so they, they may have tried to call me, but couldn't get a hold of me. But you know, just found <laughs> That's messed yeah, up. Because, yeah, wow. it happens. Yeah. It happens. But anyway, but you get excited to get mail and you open it up and it's like where where it's like oh man uh, yeah. Exactly. So I, I ended up signing with the Padres really late in January and, and went and started AAA. And it was just, I, I just could not put it back together. Uh, and I, I spent a few years there trying to do it and didn't happen. So then moved on. It happens, Tim, right? You got to move on. Oh, man, I, I tell you what, I threw a first pitch the other night at a uh, Wisconsin Timber Rattlers game. Right. And I threw a strike. It was a bullet. There were scouts in the that stands. Doesn't surprise I me. 
I don't think that they were watching, but anyway, so you never yeah, know right coming now. out of retirement. Because, hey, Hookie, I want to ask you this. So I looked in the media guide because I didn't know what number you wore. Yeah, because I've never seen that. you in a jersey. I don't know yeah. today what my number might be. Might Do you change. even know what number you yeah. are? 69. Oh, I don't know. No. Nope. <laughs> You're number 84. Yeah, 84. Yeah, I do know that. I okay, don't ever yeah. wear my jersey. No, I know. Yeah. But it's but over your locker, right? It's got to be over your it's, locker. Yeah, it is. Road. It it's, is. I'm, I was 46. Geo came, and I had to move to 48. And then I had to move to 84. Sal Romano. I was 48. Sal Romano? Sal. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. 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 He I came mean, last year. It, and, that's right. And that, that's a pitcher who pitched for the Brewers. I yeah, 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 yeah. There's a lot of Sal's out there, you know. Uh, but no, he came and then he took 48 from me. So I went to 84. I said, I think I'm safe at 84. I think I should be safe there, but you never know. Yeah. A lot of transactions. Hey, I was number 48 too. Let me ask you though, what number, if you could have any number and you wanted to wear a Jersey, what would, what number would it be? It would probably be 37. That's what I got to the big leagues with is 37. I'll never forget that. Yeah. You know, seeing my Jersey. Old Murph out there in San Fran had my jersey at 37. So, Housie Bear has that. So, I'm, I'm glad to have let old Hauser have that. Chris, is there a pitcher on this staff that, that like, reminds you of you? No, they're much in, too in good some... for that. They're way, way <laughs> past that. I knew you were going to say no, that. No, it's a truth. <laughs> it's a truth. I wasn't very good. I just, I, I, I wasn't very good. I really wasn't. I just kind of swelled myself there um, and then stayed there somehow for a while, for at least a year or so. But no, these guys are just—I mean, their their stuff is way beyond mine. I mean, if you know, I was eighty-eight to ninety-one back when probably that was close to average. And slider split—I had a split finger, so uh, that made me a little bit different. I you know, I kind of patterned my game after after uh, Jack Morris, Jack McDowell, those types of guys. Um, you know, like I said, my four-seamer cut a little bit. I had a little sinker. Slider I could throw any time for strikes and a split. And if I didn't have the split, I didn't have anything, really, to tell you the truth. I mean, that was my one big league out pitch. And, um, you know, I, I try to work fast and, and try to get in and out as quick as I could. Chris, one, one thing I hear you when, you when we talk to you about coaching, um, you use the phrase very often that one of your goals is to learn the way the pitchers like to talk, learn the way each pitcher likes to talk. D- does that sound right? Yeah, I mean, they have a language that they, they like to use and, and I like to use back. Um, you know, I think everybody connects with their body. I, I think DJ had a really good uh, thing in Instructional League one year. We just talked about, like, okay, give me your, you know, everybody in the room, hey, what are your top three things delivery-wise? And everybody had a different way of conveying that. And I think that's really important. Everyone's individualized. Timmy, the way Timmy... Uh, accepts information is totally different than Eric Lauer. Uh, you know, it just, it's just, I have to get into that and what that is as quick as I possibly can so we can move forward. I think that's super important. So Tim, yeah, Tim didn't have a zoom ball or a rise ball or a... No, Timmy had what he, his was a curve ball. I think he called yours a curve and we all want to call a slider. Is that right, Timmy? Is that right? That's exactly right. right. That's amazing. You remember that. That's incredible. You, I mean, not that it's that long ago, no. but Tim was, I mean, no, that's, that's like eight years ago. Oh, yeah. gracious. I saw enough of Tim. I mean, you see him one time, it's, <laughs> it's cemented. It's locked in. You can never forget yeah, this. But sorry. and the other thing, Tim, you can never forget is like he never he never sat. He never sat down. Please, Tim, can you sit over here so we can have a conversation? For God's sake, I'm sitting down. Yeah, yeah. Do see, anything. this is the only time I've ever sit down in baseball. Catch. But no, he would never <laughs> sit down. Adam, he was always pacing, and then he's like, oh, da, 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 "The umpire's not calling it. That's got to be crossing the plate at the tip of the plate." You know, he's always talking about that. 
That is true. That's still true. <laughs> robot umpires. I tell you what, we get robot umpires. I'm coming out of retirement. Yeah. Promise you right. that. Whoa, let's remember that we're going to clip this audio, Tim. You forget we're yeah. recording I don't know this. why that surprises you, Adam. As long as my wife doesn't hear it, we're all good. <laughs> Chris, where are you on that? Are you willing to share what you think? I mean, well, I mean, I think it's very interesting. I think it's very interesting. I think they could have at least a semblance of some help. Like, hey, you know, if it crosses the zone and those guys can hear a beep and say, hey, man, that, that matches up to what I'm seeing. I think that would match up really, really good. This game is so stinking hard. I mean, hard for the hitters. Yeah. Obviously, the pitchers and the stuff is getting so, so sharp and so hard. 94 mile an hour backdoor cut uh, on the edge. I mean, come on. You know, it's it's very hard to see those things. Um, you know, if they had a little help just to kind of guide them through, I think that's not a bad that's not a bad idea. Well, I was going to say, like, you know, I, I'm a big fan of yelling at umpires. That's my fault. I probably shouldn't do that. But nowadays they are seeing pitches that they've never seen before. Like they just they're overmatched at times, especially early in the season. Right. It's just it's it's so, it's so stick and hard. I mean, it, it, this is a very tough game. Obviously, all the rules that they have to know on a minute's notice. I'm like, holy God, it's a lot of stuff. But, I mean, it, it is a very difficult thing. And like I said, I mean, uh, this, the, I, I think velocity-wise, like I said, in 1995, the average fastball was at, was at 90 maybe, 91. Now it's probably 94 to 95. So, I mean, it's it's ticking up there. And obviously the cut and the sliders are getting bigger. Curveballs are getting bigger. Uh, very difficult job that they do have. And, and like I said, if they could get some, I, I don't think it should be the ultimate uh, answer. Like, you know, uh, you know, someone telling me it's a strike, but I have to see it. Of course, we've seen some of those ones from the fall league that there's a curveball that bounces at the very bottom and it's, I, it, I don't know how it clips the zone, but it does. I mean, that's where I think they would have some, uh, uh, some, some idea of like, hey, that's a, that's a ball or strike. They would have uh, the ultimate say in that. How about the uh, pitch clock, which is another potential change? Yeah, I, I think the I think the pitch clock for me, I like my pitchers to work quick. Yeah. You know, bottom line, I want them to move fast. I want them to move. I think there's less processing time. I, th- I think it's always been good. Always something I've promoted, uh, wanted our guys to do, um, and I think it's going to make the game a little bit more entertaining for the fans as well. But uh, I've seen it. Uh, the fall league uh, was there years ago. Um, I've seen it at the minor league level as well. I, I don't think it's going to be that big of a deal once guys get used to it. They've kind of come up through it already. Um, but we're hearing, we're hearing good things, and, and I, like I said, I think that there's going to be more action, and I think the game's going to be crisper for everyone involved. Yeah, somebody actually uh, commented when we were in Miami saying that they love how the Brewers pitchers, the starters, are running out to the mound right after the third out. Yeah. Like that, and, and for that many guys to do that, that's pretty rare. Because, yeah. you know, there's always one dude that's like, I'm, I'm going to walk it out there. But no, the, there's the last out. They're already running out there to get their pitch, pitches in. And so I'm glad there's an emphasis on that because I do. I think pitchers should work. We're not, I'm not driving that, but that's just the, our guys. They want to get out there. Huh, I mean, it's well, I mean, have you do. seen their ERAs? I'd want to get out there too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have a nasty cutter. Of course I want to be on the mound. <laughs> I want to go throw it. When you have nothing, you're like, I don't want to go back out Oh, there. I think they feel that way, but yeah. <laughs> Chris, we need to let you go get back to coaching uh, at some point, but I want to ask you this because I was serious when I said, like, y- you are hard for us to track down because your day consists of meetings. Your day consists of uh, the guys. Every day there's someone throwing a bullpen. Um, you're checking in with the relievers. You're doing all these reports that we're talking about, the – scouting i mean you you are in constant movement when you actually get a day what do you what do you do with it 
Like a day off, I mean. I sit around. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's that's something I have. Done. It's, it's uh, you know, I just feel like I just I just zonk. You know, I try not to get into the next day unless I have to. Uh, it's a day that I just kind of refresh myself, watch, you know, whatever on, on, on the tube. Uh, of course, I'll watch a baseball game, but I won't do much. Uh, and that's kind of what I've learned. It's like, you know, you know, I have I, it, my day starts, you know, relatively early, eight o'clock every morning. I've got a plan of attack of what we're going to get done, who's going to do what, uh, get here, uh, you know, 1130 or so, and then. You know, we got a nice white whiteboard now. We know where everybody's supposed to be, which bullpen catcher's doing what. And uh, it, it makes me uh, be more efficient and it makes make sure everyone on our team knows what's going on. And I think that over the – and our guys know that we care about them and they care about their work. I think that's the biggest thing that goes through this is that, hey, we're scheduling – the texts go out in the morning too. Hey, you're going to be on a, a pin. You're going to do a throwing program for your pin at this time. So it's, it's important to me that they know that – their work is extremely important to our staff that they get better today, some short uh, form or another. This is my last, this is my last question. Uh, Hooky, what is the most, what's your favorite part of being a pitching coach and what is the most re- rewarding part of it? What's the part that you look for and you, maybe it's a hug from a pitcher uh, going, thank you or whatever it looks like. I want to know. Uh, uh, favorite part is the work, the daily work. And, and I think, Everyone wants to look at the end, end results. Oh, God, I had a great, great year or whatever. I'm like, gosh, do you know the days that were stacked on top of each other to get to that point? It's like, oh, it just happened. I'm like, no, oh, no, there's a lot, a lot of sticking work going on here. Uh, and, and that's just for my whole group. I mean, everyone is so invested in these guys. So the daily work and the, you know, you start seeing the improvement and everyone, oh, gosh, he's improved. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's been, it's been a long time that we've been working on this. And, most gratifying, gosh, you know, I, it was pretty gratifying. I mean, it's it's always gratifying at the end of the year to kind of punch the ticket to go to the pl- to playoffs. That's extremely gratifying because that's to me like we're working back from that point. You know, I'm like that's where we're trying to get to, and everything that we do is try to put us in, in a position to get to that point, to punch the ticket, to get into the tournament. Right? That's that's where we want to get to. Um, so the daily grind, that's that's where my joy comes from. And when we punch that ticket, that's where I'm, I'm probably most excited about. How about, that's awesome. How about when Corbin's name gets called as the winner of the Cy Young Award? Yeah, that's a, that's kind of a weird uh, story, too. I had a, someone looking. I had an issue with my shower bathroom thing, and I had somebody over it right at that time when that was announced. I'm like, ah! I'm like, hey! You know, I kind of was like, so, yeah. Yeah, you know. Yeah. <laughs> You know, it's kind of, that you were really excited yeah, about the fixture yeah. that he picked up. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, I had no idea. He, I mean, here Redoing I am in northern in Kentucky. I mean, when I'm not in the middle of Milwaukee or anything, but not yeah. anybody would know. Oh, this guy is really into home yeah. improvement. Yeah, right, right. And he's like, oh, yeah, so you know that guy? Yeah, yeah a little bit. A little bit. Yeah, we've yeah, met. Yeah, we've met. <laughs> but, well, that's no. awesome. Chris, yeah. Chris, when we, we uh, you know, we just started this pod, as you know, and we talked about who from the clubhouse we wanted to get on. I think you were, like, literally number one for Tim and I both, because you've played such a role in the culture of the team over the last, what, five years. Um, and so we were just really thankful for you to take a chunk of your day to come chat with us. Well, I enjoyed it. Uh, you know, like I said, it's it's hard to get on not just podcasts or interviews, but this has been a little bit more laid back than norm and not a lot of information digging into my guys. So I'm, I'm, I'm really guarded on a lot of that stuff. So you won't 
hopefully you don't get a whole lot out of me on other things, but when you're talking about dumb stuff like me, uh, you know, I'm, I'm willing to share. Well, next time we'll come to you and we'll ask for the entire scouting report for the next day's game. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I, I don't, I don't, I'd be remiss if I didn't speak to my wife of 28 years to, yeah. you know, I, you can't get into these situations without support staff, two sons. Um, they've been behind me the whole way. So I'd be remiss if I knew that and, and maybe not be allowed back in the house. Either well, or. that came up the other day when we talked to Suter. Suter went home to have a baby. Uh, him and Aaron had their second. And um, he said she has him sleeping in a separate wing of the house so that he can get his sleep while she's corralling a newborn and their son. So, like, you know, superstar is how he said it. And that's true of so many. People don't, people don't know about that part of it. But just like I said, we talk about this, you know, this 30 years in, in the game and, and how – uh, she's been there and helping out the whole way. I mean, it's it's incredible. Well, Hookie, thank thank you so much again. We we really appreciate it. Go tell everybody in the clubhouse how fun this was and that they should be next. All right, man. Okay, thanks, guys. Awesome. Thank you, Chris. We I mean, legitimately, we appreciate it. All right, we need to take a quick break, but when we come back, the guys are lucky because we have Chris Hook and the interview went a little long. No trivia this week, so they get off the hook there. Yeah. <laughs> we'll talk about Freddie Peralta's injury and how the rotation's going to deal with that, Hunter Renfro's recent impact, and more. So stay tuned. Welcome back to Brewers Unfiltered, and it's time for a little Brewers talk, everybody. Because, you know, it feels like the team's yet to fire on all cylinders. They're, they do play exceptionally well at certain times. And it can feel a little bit like a, you know, there's a little bit of a a grind to things to really accomplish things. But the Brewers are actually off to the hottest start in franchise history. Adam, when you look at their recent performance, what does it say to you about how, you know, maybe we're not getting a lot of those games consistently where the hitters are going off or the pitchers are limiting runners to one run? What does it say to you that they're still able to win despite some of their uh, difficulties to start the season? Well, they're a pretty good team and baseball is hard and, and that sounds overly simplistic, but it's, it's hard to find a long stretch where pitching, hitting defense is all dominating. If you do that, you get you know, August, 2008 for the Brewers with CC Sabathia rolling over everybody. And, and I, I, what I was surprised that 26 and 14 was the best 40 game start in franchise history, that there wasn't a rogue like 30 and 10 in there. And I think it just shows you that, I mean, it's 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 very very hard to to rattle off long winning streaks in this sport. Um, and this team is, you know, you <clears throat> Craig Council always says you you get on the ride and enjoy the ride and see where you are at the end. And I think that this start is kind of an example of that. And look, I think we need to. I've said this before. They have they have beaten the teams that they are supposed to beat if they are going to be a division contender. And they've had a lot of games early on against the teams that are looking like they're going to be at the bottom of the division in the end. So you you have to acknowledge uh, that that's part of what's going on. And, and I think we've heard players talk about how this road trip and this stretch now, starting with San Diego and then St. Louis, is a more challenging stretch that they are going to need to be at the top of their game. I look at it as it took 51 games last year for the Brewers to win 26 games. They've already done it this year. They did it in 40 games. Last year, they won 95 games. So you start looking at what this team has done. You see a couple of recent tough losses. But in the big scheme of things, as of now, if my math is correct, which it's often not, they're <laughs> on pace for still 100 wins. I mean, that right there is 
a, a franchise record. So, like, that's where they're at. They're at. They're in a very good spot. They did very well in April. They're having to deal with injuries come May, and they haven't even hit the warm months. June, July, and August, this team always heats up pretty well. So for them, the hardest part is getting through the first few months and seeing where everything shakes out, where the lineup has shook out. Um, they should be getting Willie Adamas back, hopefully uh, in St. Louis. So, I mean, there's things that are this team is doing super well, uh, and they're on pace. I, I mean, you should be excited for this ball club. Right. And I phrase the question the way I do, because I think when you look at the community, they are really expecting more from this team. But I really want to emphasize that this team is performing very, very, very well. Like I threw in a couple extra fairies in there because, you know, historically they're outperforming a lot of their peers when it comes to the organization, as we talked about. And I know it can feel a little bit like a slog when they you know, don't get a hit with runner in scoring position with bases loaded and no outs and they're not getting those runners in. But that's just how baseball goes. I mean, that double play, especially in the 10th inning last night, that is just baseball working against you sometimes. It's not really necessarily anything the Brewers did wrong to an extent. It's just sometimes the ball's not going to go your way. And that's one of those examples. So I realize as fans that can be frustrating but really, what we're seeing is one of the best teams in this franchise's history. And yeah, they're not putting up 10 runs every game, but that's incredibly hard to do. So that's just why I kind of got into it the way I did, because this is, I feel like a lot of people could be appreciating the start to this season a lot more. Uh, and that's not to get on my soapbox too much and tell you, hey, enjoy baseball. But it's one of those things where I think bringing a little context to it is always good to understand, like, it's maybe not the slog it feels like at times. Brad, you're revealing yourself for being on Twitter too much. <laughs> yeah, it's almost <laughs> like it's my job. <laughs> but I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. If you just looked at the box score, you would look at it and go, oh, what happened here? What happened here? But watching the game in real time and seeing that sometimes other teams, guess what? They're good. Uh, as of before last night's game, there was only seven teams in all of baseball that had 26 or plus wins. And there were two of them that were playing each other. These are two really good teams. They're mirrors of each other. You start looking at their offensive numbers. You start looking at their pitching numbers. These are very similar teams. It's almost like playing themselves. And the only advantage was they made a few couple plays. And, you know, Brewers take a tough loss. But, but that's what it is. It's good baseball. Brewers are playing good baseball. Right. And I think if we want to continue the positive spin, I only remember one instance last year where the team was dealing with injuries like it is right now. And that was really in the first time the team was really hit by COVID in that Atlanta series where, you know, they lost four or five relievers. They lost, uh, you know, a couple position players because they all had to go out on the COVID IL. And now we're dealing with a different situation where you, you don't have Willie Thomas, you lose your other hottest offensive asset in Hunter Renfro in the middle of the game. You are dealing with a, a little loss of depth in the bullpen right now, and you don't have the best reliever in baseball on your team as he uh, deals with uh, an emergency situation. So I think it's actually, if you look at it in that way and understand the team wasn't going in with everything it had, that kind of it adds another level to a, a very competitive team and maybe a playoff preview. So that just adds another level of enjoyment to that 2-2 into the extras game that, you know, ends up... Uh, you know, being lost in a very difficult situation. I know the team feels like they should win it, but 
the cards were stacked against them, and it, that's hard to overcome. But as we talk about injuries, you know, we have to talk about Freddie Peralta going on the IL, gone for at least 15 days. Tim, what does this mean for the Brewers right now to not have one of their star pitchers? And who does it impact the most? It probably impacts uh, Aaron Ashby the most. You know, they're going to be asking a lot out of him, depending on how the bullpen shapes up as well. You know, they're going to expect him to probably go deep in the games for the first couple starts. Um, there has to be a move coming soon, I would think, when it comes to the bullpen. Uh, just, some of those guys have been run ragged. They're a man short with Josh Hader out. So, you know, there could be some moves coming there. But for the most part, everything is going to be business as usual. They've actually been very lucky over the last couple of years where they have so many good starters stay relatively healthy. And so for something like this to happen, it's not to say that it was expected, but at the same time, just looking around baseball, and as long as I've been in baseball, injuries do happen. So, I mean, Adam, you talked to council. What's your what's the status on Freddie, and, and when will we see him back? Well, here, here's the way I asked the question, because council said he will pitch again this season, which, which is good news. And the question is, you know, what, what version of Freddie Peralta will pitch again this season in terms of really – come back and have enough time to lay a foundation to be a factor. They want to go to the postseason, right? And will he have enough time to lay a foundation in order to be Freddie Peralta? I'm doing air quotes again. The, the guy, you know, starting Freddie Peralta in, in the postseason and not some lesser version of that in terms of where he's built up. And the answer was that they do think he will have time to come back and pitch and lay the foundation to start games in the postseason. So I took that as... Um, you know, that's the goal now for, for, for Freddie Peralta. But it also is a sign that, like, I mean, we're not talking about 15 days uh, as the IL. We're talking about multiple months. That's how I read it. And um, that's a significant loss. And it it's why David Stearns talks about depth all the time. And it's, it's like, not the sexiest subject from a baseball point of view. Um, I know there was thought, like, would they trade an Adrian Hauser for a bat? Would they trade consider trading Eric Lauer when his value is really high? They didn't make any moves. They went into the season with six starters plus Ethan Small, and this is why. So, you know, if I, if, I think obviously Tim's right that Aaron Ashby is the one in the, in, in the near term who's most impacting. Council actually said a lot of his work coming up was going to be out of the pen. So it seems like after they get through, they're in this long stretch right now, but maybe once they cleared that, the idea was – that there were bullpen opportunities for him. Now he starts regularly in a five-man rotation. And I'll say, I'll pick my guy as the most impacted is, is Ethan Small, who's back on the mound, um, back in the rotation, back in the probables, at least for, for AAA Nashville as we talk. And um, he becomes a really big deal now because, as Tim said, stuff happens. And Ethan Small is going to be called upon this season. And now he's positioned to kind of be where Ashby was as that number six guy. Right. If you look at the 40-man roster, it really seems like when you're looking at that depth, there aren't a plethora of other starters uh, in the pitching category. It's a lot of bullpen depth. So when you look at next man up, it really seems like Ethan Small is the next man up. So if anything else were to happen, it seemed like you know we have a top prospect debut coming on the way. Or if they feel they need a sixth starter again for a situation, that's when Ethan Small comes up. I look at you have the stretch at the end of the road trip here where you have a doubleheader in Chicago. And it's one of those situations where if they feel they need length, if they keep if the bullpen keeps being stressed, like I think the bullpen might be at max stress right now 
where if it gets more stressed, you're going to need to send some guys down and call up some more guys and maybe start adjusting the 40-man roster? Is that a situation where you bring in Ethan Small to try to stretch some things out and make get some guys some rest and some breaks? So it's it's pretty interesting to look at him being the the next potential impact player when you look at that. Because well, well, Tim, Tim, I'll just say Tim mentioned this too, and I think he's right that I think we're going to go into a period here of active roster management where they haven't done a lot of that so far this year. I mean, April was like, I can't remember a month with David Stearns as the GM where they made so few moves. I mean, we, we talked about it on the podcast and horribly jinxed it, right? The day that they finally made a move. I didn't bring it up. That was you. <laughs> <laughs> Stat of the day. Well, let's wipe that away. Uh, but I think this will now be a period where they do have to manage it a little more actively. And they've stretched their 40-man a little bit, too, with some of the stuff that's happened. Mejia getting suspended. I mean, he's not a guy that was probably on a lot of fans' radar, but that's a 40-man roster reliever with big league experience and options. He was going to be a big part of the next couple of months, and now he's out. So um, th- I think we're going to see a period where they're going to have to get pretty creative with the roster, and we're going to see some names. I mean, and here's one, Taxi Squad. We met him yesterday, Peter Strzelecki. Uh, again, probably not a – I can't spell his name. Um, probably a lot of people listening haven't heard his name, but he throws strikes, and he's pitching great at Nashville, and he's going to pitch for the Brewers. So um, I think that's another thing to eye in the next couple of weeks. And the great thing about – Strzelecki is Wisconsin really prepares you to say that last name. At least. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> if, <laughs> if we were following the Reds or the Cardinals, we would be in big trouble. But here covering the Brewers and being around Wisconsin, we just rolls right off the tongue. Yeah, we can handle seven consonants in a row without a vowel. That's no problem. <laughs> <laughs> so we talk about, you know, pitching is dealing with kind of a max stress pressure situation, but also... You know, not only do you have Willie Adamas out, but you have Hunter Renfro leaving the game last night with a hamstring injury. How do the Brewers make up for a potential absence there, Adam? Tyrone Taylor comes to my mind as a guy that looks like he's earned more ABs. Um, He's come through when given those opportunities, and this just opens another avenue for him to get in there. I think it makes Andrew McCutcheon more important as a defender, potentially. And we'll see what happens there. And I think it makes, look, Lorenzo Cain is, is not having the year he wanted. Um, and he still does it defensively, but I think offensively they're going to need right-handed bats and they, they have been the, the, the hits they've taken offensively have impacted some of their best right-handed bats. And we all have talked a lot about brewers versus lefties. That was a topic last year. It was a topic early this year. They're, they built a team that they thought would do better against uh, left-handed starters and left-handed pitching. And they've been hit with some absences in that area. So um, McCutcheon being back from COVID is a good thing. Adamus is working really hard. When I showed up at Petco yesterday, he was out there with Matt Erickson taking fungos. That's a good sign, but it's, you know, he's talking about Thursday. I think the Brewers are trying to pump the brakes on that a little bit because he's got to do a lot more running, a lot more side-to-side movement, test that ankle. Um, And Renfro, as we talk, guys, it's it's a cross-your-fingers sort of thing because – um, as both of you said, he's been their, their hottest hitter and a really, really important bat because he's the one guy who's just really mashing lefties. Um, and look, they get one in Blake Snell well, right away on, on day one. Yeah, Tim, I think losing Renfro in the middle of the game was one of the most impactful moments yesterday because he's been so hot. And we'll talk a little bit about his recent performance, 
But before that, what does an ex- potential extended absence? I mean, he told talked to the reporters yesterday and told Adam he doesn't really know if this is at the time. And I get it's hard to evaluate an injury when you come out, and it probably feels it's it might feel it's worse today, but it definitely feel, doesn't feel good when it's bad enough to bring you out of a game. So we don't really know how long it will be. But what's the Brewers? What's the hit to the Brewers team without a guy like Hunter? Well, right out of the gate, just not having his bat in the lineup. But then even his arm in the outfield. When the outfielders had to play in for the chance at a possible throw a guy out at home in the 10th inning, I was on air doing the in-game broadcast, and I was like, you kind of miss Hunter Renfro right now. Just if there was a pop-up to right field, you're like, good. They're not scoring right now because he has a he has a cannon hanging from his shoulder. So they felt the impact right away, but he seems like a tough dude. He's one of those guys that felt like you could just punch his hamstring. He could just punch it back together, you know, like – I don't know. He's getting an MRI today is what it sounds like. And they're going to assess it from there. Um, at the same time, if he's if it's not bad, he, he could always DH, you know, with the National League adopting the DH. That's a possibility if he can, you know, manage and maybe not sprint. But the reason it happened is yesterday he hit a ball that could have been a double play. And so he had to beat it out. So that fielder's choice. And then right after that, he scores on the Tyrone Taylor ball to the gap. He scores from first all the way to home and has to slide, a, kind of an awkward slide. So I think right there is, you know, the reason it happened and what we're going to see going forward. I don't know. Hopefully he doesn't miss any time. But even missing him in the outfield, that's that, that hurts. Yeah, and we talk about depth and the Brewers depth at outfield. Once you get past those, that rotation of five guys is a little weak comparatively especially when you talk about something like their pitching depth which is phenomenal you you look past Tyrone Kane Yelich and McCutcheon and if they need a fifth outfielder again who do they go to Corey Ray or David Dahl it's a very interesting situation to play in your head well the 40-man um, guys are you know the AAA guys are a lot that those names you mentioned are lefties I mean is Joey right. Weimer in the conversation yeah very reminiscent to a guy who we're seeing a lot of this series, Trent Grisham, right? Has a phenomenal double A, like first half of the season in double A, comes up to triple A, mashes, the team needs him, they call him up, he plays right field from the second half of August on, but we've seen it lately, top prospects skip triple A sometimes because the team needs him. It's an interesting question, especially when you look at a lot of their depth, I mean, you have a lot of veterans at AAA right now. You have Jonathan Davis, Abraham Amante, um, but do you look for something like a Joey Weimer to give you a jump start, who really does profile pretty similarly to Hunter Renfro when you look at kind of what they're both good at? So that'd be interesting. Well, the power, the arm, I would say Hunter Renfro's swing is slightly more controlled. Joey Weimer, slightly. I I just mean in a general sense, right? Like a a right fielder. uh, We we had a story from our prospect guys the other day that included Joey Weimer, and the question was, "Have you ever seen a tornado swing a baseball bat?" I thought that was a good line from Sam Dykstra, our Brewers prospect guru, because that's what it's like watching Weimer. Yes, the guy. I mean, I mean, I, I would love if Joey Weimer were the guy because it'd be a great story. But I think you mentioned some names, Brad, that are way more likely. Should they add a guy? Because let's remember, even Grisham. That's you're talking about August, I think. Um, yes. Later in the season with a lot more foundation under him. So I'm, I'm sort of, I was a little tongue in cheek about Weimer at this point. Um, Abraham Monte is a switch hitter who's played in the big leagues. 
He got a ring last year with the Braves. So, you know, th- again, the full roster, 40-man and beyond, is is probably going to come into play in the stretch here because of the issues that they're dealing with uh, health-wise and this long stretch of games, a lot of games on the schedule right now. Well, we're celebrating the Willie Adamas being here a year, you know, of the big trade. So maybe that's something that they decide to do. Maybe they're thinking, okay, if, if Renfro's out for an extended period of time and maybe – they're looking for more production from center field, uh, then maybe they just go and pick up a big outfield acquisition. I mean, that's not out of the realm of possibility. I think, I mean, we've seen it happen before where they go and get a big name at a big moment, or maybe not a big name, but ends up becoming a big name. So I don't know. I I think a lot of things are in play right now, but one thing that they always do when you talk about David Stearns and Craig Council and Matt Arnold is, you know, when we sit there and look and we're talking and we got a whole podcast <laughs> dedicated towards what are they going to do? Who are they going to They already have a plan in place and they've proved that over and over again. You know, the plan changes on the fly, but they've done a great job of navigating that. So I don't know. I, I think it's just a wait and see. And and uh, yeah, I think I think they have a plan. Yeah, uh, what we need to do is a uh, friend of the pod, Will Salmon, just put out an article about how the, what happened when the Willie trade happened for the one-year anniversary, and it was David Stearns was on an off day. So, David, take an off day. That, that'll get a trade together, right? That's the His one connecting off day thread. in five years? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then it's the, one of the biggest trades of his career. <laughs> so... David, just go take an off day and something will, next thing you know, Juan Soto's on the team, right? That's how things work. <laughs> wow, you're going to aim high. All right, before I get into more wildly dangerous speculation that will likely get me in trouble down the road, let's head off to another break. But when we return, we'll give our stats of the week, revisit some of our favorite Willie Adamas moments, and fantasize about our next vacation. Be right back. And we are back. Episode 9, Brewers Unfiltered. It's time for the rapid round. And, you know, I think I always start with Adam, so I'm going to switch things up. And for the first question in the rapid round, Tim, what is your stat of the week? Ooh, stat of the week, drum roll. I don't even know what my stat of the week was the last couple weeks, so this may be the same thing. It's kind of still the same thing. Luis Arias has reached base and safely in every single game since he's been back, 17 games. The guy has 19 hits, three homers, seven RBIs, which, you know, maybe his power's down a little bit since he missed the first month of the season. But when it comes to what his production is, 12 runs. The guy's walked 10 times, and his OBP, his on-base percentage, is higher than Tim Anderson, Aaron Judge, and Paul Goldieschmidt. So for me, that's a big deal. We didn't know what we are going to get after he missed the first month of the season. He comes back 17 games in. He is an impact player, and he's kind of flying under the radar. We don't talk about him near enough. Adam? Well, I'm going to also, like Tim, stay with uh, stay, stay away from the advanced metrics. I'll leave that to you, Brad. And I've got three numbers, 11, 10, and 15. This road trip you've probably heard is 11 games in 10 days, a big test. But it's also 15 straight days with a game on the schedule because they come home and play the Padres for four when they get home. So I have this circled as the toughest stretch, maybe the toughest stretch all season. One of the toughest stretches of the season in terms of uh, quality of opponent and just the grueling nature of it. And we've talked a lot, guys, about how they are <clears throat> stretched uh, from a personnel perspective. And it, it's this is a this is a key point in the schedule. 
And I'm curious to talk again when we get through it to see where they stand and, and how they came through it. Man, that was way more eloquent. Can I change my answer? <laughs> yeah. All right. Go what was back. it? 11, 10, 15? Yeah. I was like, that's my locker combination from high school. <laughs> <laughs> Don't share that, Adam. Uh, so I know the expectation was put on me to come out with the nerd stat because that's generally my role in this group. But I'm going to give out one that Adam kind of foreshadowed earlier, and that's 701. That's the slugging of Joey Weimer in the month of May. He's hit eight home runs, 13 RBI. I mean, the guy has been an absolute beast, and he's just someone I think we need to highlight more in, as a community, as someone who we should be really excited about because this guy, it, if Adam and I had definitely had the chance to watch him in minor league spring training and spring training, and the tornado is absolutely correct, he is wild, but that's what part of my, what makes him fun, especially watching him in that swing. I don't know if a 379 on base percentage was something I thought he was really in his future, but he gets it done despite being, being that wild, and it's a real blast to watch. He's a fun player to watch hit, and someone I think is a real exciting hitting prospect on the periphery that I don't know if the organization has had a hitting prospect this exciting since Kesson Hira. So I just want to bring them back to, uh, you know, focus, even though that's the second time we've done it so far. So, Adam, I think you have a good answer for our next rapid round question, because I know Ooh. you're quite the traveler. What's the best well, vacation you've ever been on? Hmm. Uh, I think it might. It has to be 2014. I hiked to Machu Picchu five days, four nights. It was spectacular. And I always say stuff like this, but if anybody is like, ah, oh, where should I go? I want to go somewhere big. And you're able-bodied. It is like a magical experience. Highly, highly, highly recommend. I like how you said able-bodied. I was thinking, I'm on board <laughs> with this. I mean, but you're going to be doing yeah. a lot of hiking if you can do it. Uh, hard pass. Yep, Disney I'm out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a grind. We got, I think at the highest point, you're up, you're, you're up over 14,000 feet. Good. Yeah, I struggled to breathe at 30 feet. <laughs> <laughs> Go up the stairs, you're like, oh. <laughs> well, you also can take a train and then this like bus that goes up this crazy zigzag road. Whoa, you didn't tell me someone would do the work for me. Okay, I'm back in. <laughs> but when you do it, when you hike it and you kind of descend, it's called the sun gate. When you descend down, you see all these people and you just look at them and you shake your head and you're like, you're cheating. <laughs> I walked here for five days. Cheating. You took a train. Cheating is the guy watching the documentary on it and going, oh, look at all the, that looks really cool. Nope. I'm going to go throw on my meta headset and experience it through VR. And Adam and I will have the exact same experience. <laughs> Tim, <laughs> what about you? What's the best vacation you've been on? I don't know. I feel like I've been on a lot of good vacations. Um, I remember the one that sticks out the most as a kid. I'm going to go the kid route. Uh, my dad was always coaching during the summer, so we didn't really have a chance to go on hardly any vacations. Uh, but I remember one year we went to Dyersburg to see uh, the Field of Dreams in Iowa. And I remember thinking, that's the coolest thing ever. We have it on VHS, and now I'm living it. And, you know, I got to come out of the corn. I don't think any of those photos ever existed, but uh, I got something from the souvenir shop because I used to shine guys' shoes and go get them food in the clubhouse, and they would tip me money, and I would keep it, you know, but I always had it in, like, a Gladlock bag. So when I was there, I got, remember those coin purses, like those little <laughs> rubber, you squeeze them yeah. and they open. Yeah. yeah. You'd write on so them. So I had a field of them. dreams, blue coin purse 
that I put my money in that I uh, that I acquired from working the summers in uh, minor league baseball. So I remember thinking that was a good time. I learned so much from you in that one anecdote. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> it was, there was a lot to unpack. <laughs> <laughs> like that you were shining shoes and getting tipped by minor league ball players. Yeah, <laughs> Billy Wagner. Just... I used to shine Billy Wagner's shoes. I charged him 50 cents a shoe. You undercharged wow. him. You should have charged Billy Wagner a lot more. Yeah, I should, I should have known. My dad was like, he's a huge prospect. And I was like, really? <laughs> better, <laughs> better charge him better more. Better make it 75 <laughs> cents a shoe. Yeah. Get a lawyer, send him an invoice. Yeah. Be like, Billy, you owe me. <laughs> With inflation, that's a lot of money. Uh, my best is, so I am not too much of an international traveler, uh, much more of a stateside traveler. So when I went to uh, visit my brother-in-law and we traveled all over Oregon, that was one of my favorites is Oregon is just this amazing state where you have like four ecosystems all contained in this one very drivable area. So we went from Portland to Seaside to Astoria where they filmed Goonies. I was Uh, just going to say you have to watch Goonies on that trip. Yeah, I've been to that rock, that rock from the movie. Yeah. It's it's a blast. It's uh, I really love it. I think it was like the first time in a long time that I went to a different state, and like my wife had to like pull me off a tree. I was like, I don't want to leave. No, I'm staying forever. <laughs> uh, yeah, but that was just a, a fantastic place to go and a fun trip. So that's mine. It's uh, much lamer than you know having a surreal personal experience at the top of you know a mountain, but. Here I am. <laughs> Adam just, wins. Just li- Adam wins Here again. I am. My life. That's not a competition, boys. <laughs> All right, Adam. Let's see if you can win this one. It's been just over a year since the Willie Adamas trade. What's your best Willie moment so far? Okay, an obscure one maybe, but I remember a series in Pittsburgh, and I can't remember when, but it was at the height of Willie Adamas mania where the Brewers were playing great, maybe last August, and he hit a home run or scored a run, and he came in the dugout in Pittsburgh and slid down the railing Oh yeah, like right in front of council. And council got this ashen look on his face. Um, that's Willie Adamas in a nutshell. We see him like straddling the railing a lot, but this was the first time we saw him slide down the railing, and it was a, a great moment at a period that they were playing really great, and his impact was was being felt. So he is, um, he is a lot of fun. Man, that's... I feel yeah. so bad for, like, knowing everything I know from watching him in the dugout, like, Teresa Lau has been the one working with him to, like, make sure his rehab goes better. So I feel like she's kind of tasked with, like, making sure Willie gets better. And having to watch that guy and make sure he doesn't jump 80 feet out of the dugout to celebrate a home run and re-injure his ankle has to be the most stressful job in baseball. Because that guy does not sit still. And with an injury like that, where rest is kind of something that's very important, like, I don't envy her. Tim, what's your favorite Willie Adamas moment? Yeah, I think you have to go back to Pittsburgh. This is this is kind of a uh, an anomaly, too. I don't know if you remember this one, but April 26th of this year, um, he had four hits, two home runs, seven RBIs. Y'all remember that one? That was a yeah. That was a huge Back when one. seven RBIs was the franchise record. Yeah. Yep. All that Broken kind of a stuff. week later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I just found that just to be, you know, it was all encompassing. He also had a single in that game, which never gets covered, but he also had five RBIs with two outs. So he shows his power. He shows how he's clutch and he shows how he's willing to be an impact in any moment, in any inning, uh, regardless of people on base, not on base, starting a rally. Like that kind of stuff is what 
what amazing players, elite players. That's what they do. They make they make something out of nothing, and when there's something there, they make it better. And that's Willie Adamas. So I actually have two moments. One is for Willie the player, and one is for Willie the person. The first is the Cubs come back. You know, Aaron Ashby's debut actually comes out, gives up seven, and Willie really, he doesn't have seven RBI that game, but he's really one of the people who led the charge, including a monster grand slam. Um, huge moment for him and really established him as, after a amazing month with the team as a guy who can lead this team offensively and really brought him to light in a lot of people's eyes, I think. But then there was a game last year, I believe it was against San Francisco, but it was Sunday night ESPN game where they had him mic'd up and people finally got to see Willie, the character during the game. And he's sitting there, he's talking to his bat and he's like, uh, like he's on a cold streak and he's like, my love, my love, yeah, get me a hit. (laughs) I think we did Uh, a whole story about that. (laughs) And and then he, he uh, like gets a ball that was in air and he finds out on base it's a hit. He's like, yes, I got a hit. (laughs) My cold streak's over. (laughs) That, that is just like something that I wish more and more people experienced because it's like Willie Adamas the person is someone who's just a blast to be around and he is that way all the time he's just funny and fun and he's why like being around him you quickly learn why he's the glue of that clubhouse now I think I want Adam to start back to back so I'm going back to Tim Tim back to travel what's the next place you want to visit next place I want to visit um, yeah. Well, I'm your next currently in San Diego. This is a pretty good spot. But that's uh, pretty good. Yeah. I don't know. I'm thinking St. Louis in my future, <laughs> traveling <laughs> on the plane. No, I don't know. The I first person ever no, to I answer that question yeah. that way. <laughs> she. Yeah. I can't wait to go to St. Louis. Never. No, I. I'm sure we have St. Louis listeners. Um, no, I don't know. I, I just. I've always wanted to go to Venice. I don't think that'll be the next place I go. I think I'll go there. I think I'll be the you know very wrinkly guy that doesn't know he's in Venice, but that may be me eventually um, getting there. I don't know. I don't know. I just, I traveled so much in my career that I, I enjoy being home. For me, the greatest vacation is being at home. I'm, I'm that guy. I'm very boring. Yeah. Between your St. Louis answer and <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. that one. Well, can we edit the, all that out? <laughs> I'm going to petition Ezra. Yeah, I'm going to petition Ezra to never ask you a travel question ever again. Adam, where do you want to go? <laughs> I would just say to Tim, go okay. to Venice soon. I'd, Isn't I'd get that one Maybe that's why I want to go. Sense of urgency. <clears throat> yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, I, as a kid, went to Banff on a family trip, and I would love to go back to Banff as an adult in uh, in Alberta. Just like uh, Lake Louise, just a talk about magical places, like one of the most beautiful places on earth. I thought it was the acronym, and you wanted to go back to being a Banff. Uh, I don't know what that means, but I want to go to Banff National Park in uh, Alberta, Canada. Oh, I thought right. it was not in And St. drink some Molson. It's not in St. Louis? It's <laughs> <laughs> a little north. Northwest. Oh, okay, got it, got it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, for me, uh, I've really wanted to, as I said, I'm not really an international traveler, and I'd like to fix that. So uh, actually, the place I'd really, really like to go, even despite me being terrified of snakes, and not really spiders, but spiders the size of your face are pretty scary, Australia, is I'd really like to make it out there, uh, especially uh, along the, the good coast, not the desert coast. Let's get to know Dave Nilsson. He's back in Wisconsin, right? Yeah. Coaching. 
Yeah, he but can uh, let's get me a tour. him yeah. and then try to get a uh, invite to Australia. Go cover Great. that league over there. Yeah, in, in the winter, it can be a good work trip for the pod. Ezra, expense it. Get it in the books. Uh, so that's all we have time for. But thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the Chris Hook interview. We hope you enjoyed that Tim wants to go to St. Louis. <laughs> like, y'all are, you're uh, not going to let me live that down. <laughs> never. <laughs> Don't forget to follow our hosts. You can find Tim and see all his amazing takes at Dim Tillard on Twitter and Instagram. Look for Adam McAlvey at Adam McAlvey on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can read Adam at MLB.com, at Brewers.com. You can see Tim on during the broadcast right now through St. Louis and on the pre- and post-game show. Of course, make sure you're following the Brewers on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And we'll see you next time. <laughs>